Welcome to In the Black with your host, Bob Dickerson. Our program takes a look at the socioeconomic issues affecting black America. From education to news and politics to business matters, we have the stories and guests that you need to hear about. Now, here is Bob Dickerson. Hello, everybody. This is Bob Dickerson with In the Black on the Voice America Radio Network. We're so happy to be with you here today. Uh, We've got a, well, we think it's a good show. Uh, We hope you think it's a good show. Hey, remember, you can always get in touch with us. We're at on Twitter at In the Black, and that is spelled N-T-H-B-L-K. You can also reach us on Facebook, Bob Dickerson, as well as uh, you can look at our website, which is BobDickerson.com. So I'm sitting here today. uh, We're actually pre-recording this show and uh, the, the show today is being recorded on January 20th. And January 20th is the day that uh, we celebrate the King holiday, the Martin Luther King holiday. And so uh, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time sort of reflecting on uh, Dr. King and his vision, uh, his dream, and, his, uh, his, and what he meant to America, and not just black America, but what he meant to America and sort of talk about some of the things that are happening now, uh, you know, as as we think about the fact that he's been gone, you know, for quite a while, 51 years. And uh, and, and we've come a long way. But uh, as one of those Stevie Wonder said, song says, uh, we've got so far to go. And so uh, so we do have a, a long way to go in making sure that we create justice and equality in America. You know, I mentioned before in Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, he paraphrased some scripture from the book of Amos, which said it was Amos 5:24, and it said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And, uh, and, and when we really think about where we are in this country, especially if you're poor, if you're oppressed, if you come from the wrong community, if you come from the other side of town, then uh, righteousness and justice is really uh, a fleeting idea. It's a fleeting thought. It's something that we don't automatically just get. And so um, what we do know is that as Dr. King was ending his life, his civil rights movement was sort of becoming something that we really need, a movement for economic justice, and we'll just call that a silver rights movement. Now, there are many people now who are involved in this silver rights movement, and, and I want to make sure that we're always cautious because authentic people, uh, people who are really concerned about community, people who are concerned about others, not just themselves, are the ones that we ought to be following in this silver rights movement because if we have leaders in this new movement for civil rights, silver, S-I-L-V-E-R rights, and they are only concerned about themselves, then we all can get duped. And so we know that there have always been uh, the, the, the sheep in wolf's clothing, the wolf in sheep's clothing. I almost got that backwards. There, there, there have always been the shysters and the people that we have to watch out for. But we're calling on authentic people authentic leaders in the civil rights movement to lead the charge for justice in America, to lead the charge for economic 
justice in America. You know, I just saw the movie Just Mercy. Saw it Saturday. I completed the book, as I mentioned to you last week. But I saw the movie, and the book and the movie are great. Highly recommended. Brian Stevenson is a fantastic lawyer. Uh, the story of his his life is something that I think ought to all have us uh, become a little more conscious about what happens in America. Uh, we ought to be more conscious about what happens when people are inadequately educated. We ought to be more conscious and more concerned when folks are discriminated against. We ought to be more conscious and concerned about the predatory economic practices, predatory lending, and, and so forth. And we ought to be concerned about the policies that we have and have had for quite a while in this country that were designed to make the poor poor. Yes, I said they were designed to make the poor poor. So when we think about the redlining that occurred way back in the uh, early part of the 20th century, where certain areas where black and brown people were forced to live were also cut off economically. Uh, they were cut off by the banking system, so you couldn't get loans for homes or for businesses. They were cut off from the fair uh, traders and, and retail establishments. And so if you didn't have the opportunity to travel to another location to buy products and services, then you got higher priced and inferior ones. Uh, they were cut off from good education. They were cut off from government services. Now, these same folks were paying taxes. Their tax dollars were going to build communities in other areas, communities that they couldn't live in. And, and when I say couldn't live in, it wasn't just economics back then. They couldn't live in because of law. So their same tax dollars are going to build up communities that they couldn't live in and they were being deprived. Uh, I can drive you right now in my community to remnants of, of, and not just remnants, to places where people live that are just tucked in between factories. Uh, environmental racism is something that we haven't talked about a lot. We talk about the economic policies and the, 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 the denial of civil rights, but there's also environmental racism that has our people breathing unclean air to a greater extent than others are, that, that have us living among factories and rail cars and, and other things that, uh, that, that the more affluent people and the people with the brighter hue in their skin uh, don't have to deal with. And so we've always had these policies in our country that have helped people to stay in poverty. And frankly, we haven't had enough policies and we haven't been aggressive enough in delivering on our policies that got folks out of this poverty, got us out of those communities, got us out of those places. And so when we think about the King Day and think about how he fought and died for justice, of course he was known as the drum major for justice, then we have to think about some of the policies that have been created and some of the policies that still exist that keep people back. You know, in America, if you're poor, then we've got stuff to make you poorer. Uh, if you're 
not educated well, then, you know, we can send you to jail. And if you're poor and uneducated, then, you know, you may get a lot of time for just a, a bad uh, offense. I, there was something that Brian Stevenson said in the movie, and it was right toward the end. And I really encourage all of you to go see it and read the book. But it said that the poor and innocent, poor and innocent, fare worse than the rich and guilty. Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. So if you're poor, even if you're innocent, and you get a court-appointed court attorney uh, who's only making a little money to defend you, who is probably or are likely to be not as accomplished as a high-priced attorney, then you may end up not getting adequately defended. You may end up being coerced into taking a plea that you shouldn't for something that you didn't do because the odds are stacked against you. In, in the book, which is, uh, which is not an ancient book, it was based on some things that happened in the late 1980s, so we're not talking about uh, things that happened in the 30s and the 40s and the 20s, we're talking about the 1980s and 90s, where, where, where people were being put on death row without the benefit of a fair trial. Uh, the one man who was a central figure in the, in the book, and I don't want to tell too much of it, but he was sent to death row before he was convicted. He was, he was held on death row before he was convicted. His attorneys were not allowed to adequately defend him, and the legal system conspired to frame him because they wanted to close a case. There were other instances in the book because people were poor and perhaps not as mentally uh, stable as they could have been, that they were just thrown to the wolves. So policies that where the poor and innocent fare worse than the rich and guilty, because if you're rich, even if you're guilty, you get a good lawyer. You understand your rights. Uh, you get somebody who is fighting for your rights. There in America is supposedly the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. And if you're rich, you get a chance to have that presumption. But if you're poor, you don't. And so when we think about the inadequate education, the discrimination that takes place, uh, the predatory lending, uh, I mentioned earlier on one of the shows that we did, when I lived in Bessemer, Alabama, and I drove my car to Birmingham to work, I passed 22, this is about a 10 mile drive, mind you. I passed 22 title pun payday check cashing operations and three branches of commercial banks. 22 title pun payday and check cashing operations and 22, 22 of those in three banks. And I didn't count the furniture rental places that also prey on poor people. So a brother said in DC at a conference, he said he was, he grew up relatively poor. He went to college, he got a bunch of student loans and, um, and he couldn't pay his bills on time. And so he got bad credit. And so because he had bad credit, everything cost him more. 
That's the system that we have in America today, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. If you're poor, you pay more and you get less. You pay more for credit. You pay more for groceries and they aren't as fresh. They aren't as good. We live in food deserts. You pay more to drive a car. You pay more for rent because it's more expensive to rent than to own. You actually pay more to be poor. We live in a country that penalizes the victims. It looks at you and says, you're poor. Perhaps it's your fault. You're poor and we don't want to help you. You're poor and we're going to discriminate against you. And that is not the way an enlightened society ought to behave. That is not the way America ought to be. Hey, this is Bob Dickerson. I want you to stay right there. We're going to be back with more of In the Black right after these very important messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to In the Black with Bob Dickerson. If you have a question or a comment about the program, please send an email to Robert B. Dickerson Jr. at gmail.com. That's Robert B. Dickerson Jr at gmail.com now back to in the black this is bob dickerson and you're listening to in the black hey i'm happy that you joined us uh happy that you joined us for the second portion of today's program you know i mentioned it is i'm recording this on the king holiday and i always look at the king holiday as the precursor to black history month now we could have a lot of arguments about Black History Month and, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to say, well, we really shouldn't celebrate Black History Month. A lot of white people are going to say that for whatever reasons. And there's some black people who are going to say it for a lot of reasons. 
uh, you'll hear black people say, well, we ought to celebrate black history every month because black history in America is American history, that we have been part of the fabric of this country ever since we were brought here uh, as slaves. And, and, and most uh, people acknowledge the date of 1619 as being the day. So 400 years ago that we were brought here as slaves. There are a lot of people who would argue that, uh, that blacks had been in this hemisphere and even uh, in the northern part of the hemisphere, North America, for longer than that. And I would tend to agree with that. But, but, but be that as it may, and it doesn't really matter, we've been here for a long time and made tremendous contributions to this country uh, in terms of being laborers that help build wealth, but in terms of being also artists and artisans, thought leaders, innovators, blacks in America have made significant contributions. And so we ought to be celebrated. Uh, and, and I don't have a problem with having Black History Month because it gives me an opportunity to do one of the things that I like doing, which is celebrate uh, black heroes. And I have a specific hero that I celebrate every Black History Month. We'll talk about him and that event a little bit later in the program. But it's hard to talk about black history in America, not contend with the, the, the racial injustice and the racial wealth gap that are persistent and that exists now. And to be totally, to, and to totally separate all of those from slavery. And so I was reading something this morning, and I thought I'd just share it. And it, it says that black children must constantly be reminded of slavery from the past because it, it explains our economic, educational, social, and political condition in the present. And I really think that's true, because if you don't understand where we came from, then you and whether you're black or white, it may not matter, you might not understand why the black community is in the condition that it's in. Uh, if you don't want to believe that, uh, that, that we are as capable of, as any other people, uh, then you'll say that it's your fault that you are, you know, only your net worth is on the average uh, less than, 10% of the net worth of a white family. Uh, you'd understand the poverty and some of the other ills that plague the black community. You, you, you blame black folks totally for their own situation. But slavery, uh, along with some of the legal things that sprung off of slavery, uh, reconstruction, sharecropping, convict leasing, peonage labor, Jim Crow, voter disenfranchising, gerrymandering, redlining, all of those things have played a role and they still adversely and constantly affect black people to this very day. So let's talk about some of those things because I think that is very important. And so black folks are, let, are emancipated, quote unquote, free from slavery. But the jobs they knew had to do with agriculture in the South and, uh, and, and basically servant-type labor in places other than the South. 
And so what follows slavery is pretty much sharecropping. And, um, and, and black people were always going to be used by the masters, the ones who had previously, previously been legal masters, now became business masters. And we've all heard the stories about how these sharecroppers were mistreated, how the, the crops and the, the money that was supposed to be paid to them was miscounted. Uh, how they were deprived and needed to use credit. And when it came time to get paid, you walk in and, and they say, well, you know, I want my money. And the, and, the, and the owner says, well, you know, I fed you all year. So that was your money. Uh, we've, we've heard about the folks who worked in mines and, and, and lived all week and then and fed their kids. And when they went, when they went to pick up their check, the company store actually has it. So, We've got that, that sharecropping thing that actually holds you back. Uh, we talk about convict leasing, and, uh, and this was especially true here in the South where, where young black men were arrested on some trivial charge, uh, convicted in some trumped-up court, and then leased out as convicts to mining companies. So the same jobs that... African-Americans have been doing as slaves were now being done by convicts. And guess what? The convicts weren't being paid. The convicts themselves weren't being paid. Now, somebody might have been making some money, but the convicts were not being paid. Uh, this peonage labor is, is, is similar. similar. Uh, you work for someone and they pay you a pittance of what your work is worth because there are no other jobs. And then we talk about Jim Crow, which we all know uh, was something that said that we are not going to allow black people to get a leg up. Uh, we're going to disenfranchise them each and every chance we get. And that disenfranchisement not only went for property ownership and business opportunities, but it also went to the voting booth. Uh, we are still fighting in America today for voting rights for black people. Congresses from across this country use very sophisticated methods to make sure that they keep people and policies in place that disenfranchise black voters. We call it gerrymandering. And gerrymandering is just this, just what I said, is grouping the black people, is drawing the lines to disenfranchise black voters and there is one political party that does it a whole lot more than the other. And I don't have to tell you which one that is. But this, this Jim Crow started it. And, and, and you do know that right after the Civil War, you had many blacks who were in Congress, especially in state legislators, legislatures. Jim Crow ended all that. And when it ended all that, it disenfranchised the black voter. And that disenfranchisement is still prevalent today, all too prevalent for it being 2020. And then, of course, there is this redlining, and, um, and, and I know a bit about that. Redlining uh, is what created the need to have a Community Reinvestment Act. But going back in the, to the early 20th century, there were federal programs 
that did not allow lending for home ownership in certain communities. And guess what the inhabitants of those communities looked like? Well, you don't have to really guess. Redlining was something that was happening, you know, all over this country. And, and, and if you're allowed to, if you went to many of the city halls, city government, city government uh, offices, you can go back in the archives and find the areas that were actually, actually redlined. There were actually red lines drawn around communities that were considered, quote unquote, undesirable these undesirable communities. So all of these things still adversely affect black people. And so when it's very important as we celebrate another Black History Month, uh, when we talk about the, achieve, the achievements of black folks, which are notable and numerous, and we really never get to all of them, but we have to understand where we are and why we're there, and we need to make sure that our children understand where we are and why we're there. I, I want you to remember this, and this is something that is true for, for our society. Racism, sexism, and also ageism are oppressive institutions within our society. They're all oppressive. And so if when you think about it, racism is generally... Uh, inflicted on a person who is black and brown or someone that you can look at and you know their race. But sexism is a problem as well. Uh, discriminating against women is a problem as well. Discriminating against people who are old is a problem as well. And, and here's the deal. As long as we allow one of these, either one, as long as we allow one of these to flourish, each of the others is fueled and empowered. And so until we battle and fight and push back racism, we're gonna have sexism and ageism. And if we allow sexism to flourish, then we're gonna have more racism and ageism. So it's up to us as enlightened people, as enlightened Americans, to fight all the isms. We have to fight all the isms. This is Bob Dickerson within the black. We'll be back after these messages with more of today's program. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests, which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. 
Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning into the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to In the Black with Bob Dickerson. If you have a question or a comment about the program, please send an email to Robert B. Dickerson Jr. at gmail.com. That's Robert B. Dickerson Jr. at gmail.com. Now, back to In the Black. Hello once again. This is Bob Dickerson with In the Black on the Voice America Radio Network. We're so happy that you decided to join us for this uh, this edition. We are looking forward to Black History Month, and we're talking about uh, things that relate to that help. I, I think we talk about things like that every week, so... Uh, so that's what the show is about. It's in the black. It used to be, in my mind, blackonomics to talk about the economic system, economic uh, situation that black people find themselves in. And so, uh, so we're just happy to be here. We're, we're recording this show on the King holiday. Uh, certainly Martin Luther King was a, a hero to all of us, definitely a hero in the black community. And, and I actually do a conference every year, and I named it after one of my heroes, the A.G. Gaston Conference. A.G. Gaston was a gentleman who was uh, born in Demopolis, Alabama, and uh, doing this conference, we will be putting on our 16th conference coming up next month. Uh, it's become a labor of love for my partner and I, Gaynell Adams Jackson, as well as the members of my staffs, past and present at the Birmingham Business Resource Center. And we're thankful that our conference has been an essential part of Birmingham's Black History Month celebration. So, you know, so thinking about Dr. King, uh, as you might expect, my mind has turned toward A.G. Gaston. And I thought about this. At the time of A.G. Gaston's birth, he was destined to be a statistic. He was born into poverty. Uh, his grandparents had been someone's property, slaves. He was born at the height of Jim Crow America. And so the opportunities for AG to succeed were, were very limited. Uh, the opportunity for him, for him to excel in any real way were practically non-existent. Uh, now, Gaston went on to be named the Entrepreneur of the Century uh, for, by Black Enterprise Magazine, the Entrepreneur of the 20th Century. Uh, and, and, but thinking about that and thinking about when he was born, he had a better opportunity to be lynched than to become a millionaire, and he became a multimillionaire. I want to say that again. Thinking about the America and the Alabama into which A.G. Gaston was born, 
thinking about the conditions of his birth, thinking about where he lived and who he was born to and what that background was, he had a better opportunity to be lynched than to go on and become this phenomenal businessman, this multimillionaire. So we started a conference uh, to say that anyone who will listen, number one, that the circumstances of your birth don't have to automatically determine where you go, what you accomplish, or what you become. This conference uh, is about economic empowerment, and A.G. Gaston was empowered. Uh, he was an agent of empowerment as well. The, the one thing he knew, he knew the value of thrift and discipline. Uh, he knew that establishing a reputation of trustworthiness and honesty was vital to establishing any kind of business enterprise that was going to work. Uh, and he knew innately that he couldn't succeed without others. So some of the stories about Gaston was that when he was a boy, his dad or granddad built him a swing. And all of the kids in the neighborhood wanted to swing on a swing. Well, they didn't have any money. You turn to the century Demopolis, no black children had any money. I mean, black people didn't have any money. But he, 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 he knew a little something about what money was. And so he would collect buttons and pins. You know, a button and a pin was something that resembled currency, resembled some change. He collected buttons and pins in order to let those children ride. So he established early on some traits that said he was going to be a great entrepreneur. Um, he was very disciplined. He didn't run around and spend his money. So he began to accumulate money. Uh, after going to school through 10th grade, going to World War One, he came back and he did what most black people ended up doing. He worked in a mine. But he noticed in the mines that the, the other mine workers would, first of all, he would want his lunch. He wanted a piece of his lunch. His mother made him a lunch. He still stayed with his mom. He's a grown man, but he lives with his mother. So he started getting her to make extra lunches that he went to work and sold. Uh, partnership with mom. Uh, he also noticed that most of the guys would get broke by the time payday rolled around. They wouldn't have any money. And so he started making loans. Now, I hate to say that he might have been one of the original payday lenders, but we laugh jokingly and we say that. But, uh, but, but one of the things that he always did, and if you look at his, his recommendations for success, the one that stands out is find a need and fill it. And finding these and fill it, filling them are empowering. And we know that empowerment occurs when discipline and thrift meet. Well, he certainly had that. When trustworthy and honesty work inside of strategic partnerships, well, he had that. And when you find needs and fill them, then you're on your way to business success and prosperity. So growing businesses is certainly something that helps you achieve economic empowerment. And so we're celebrating him um, and his accomplishments from his backyard swing to selling his mother's sandwiches at the Westfield coal mine to starting a burial society. Now, keep in mind that in the 1920s, in the black community, when someone died, then there was this uh, effort to go and collect money 
to bury them. So you're collecting pennies and nickels and dimes from friends and family and neighbors. And so Gaston's bright idea and Gaston's idea, this had been tried other places, so it wasn't just his, was to bring a burial society to Alabama. The burial society, of course, was to collect the money in advance of your death and ensure that upon your demise, you would receive a proper burial and your family wouldn't have to go around and collect the nickels and dimes in order to get you to get you buried. And, uh, and it worked. Gaston had a great reputation, so he was able to cut deals with uh, undertakers and others. Uh, and so, so, so that business worked, and it led to the establishment of the Booker T. Washington Insurance Company. And so when redlining, I mentioned that in the last segment, uh, not making loans available to blacks was a common practice by lenders and the federal government. Then Gaston started a bank. Uh, he started the Citizens Federal Savings and Loan Association. They later changed the name to the Citizens Federal Savings Bank. And, uh, and that bank is where I worked from 1984 to 1989. Uh, Gaston's bank allowed thousands of African Americans to build wealth, to buy a home, and to pursue the American dream. Uh, A.G. Gaston not only created hundreds of good-paying, good jobs, good, well-paying jobs, he brilliantly surrounded himself with top-notch talent. Now, here's a man with a 10th grade education, but he's hiring people who had masters of business administration and business degrees and law degrees. They worked for him. Although he, he didn't have the formal education, he was very smart. He was very bright. And the professionals who could have worked anywhere enjoyed working for him uh, because they felt like it was an opportunity and a unique opportunity that working for one of the businesses in the gas and enterprise provided. So he was blessed with this unique understanding of horizontal and vertical business integration. He created a business school to supply his and other businesses with well-trained clerks, stenographers, bookkeepers and in office buildings. And although he had one son and five grandchildren that, that carried his DNA, uh, he, he was known to personally see the young people he encountered got a chance or some chances that he never got to get a quality education. He actually started a boys and girls club, which is the pinnacle of his philanthropy. So A.G. Gaston is certainly a, an historic figure in history, uh, his accomplishments make him worth our study. It makes him worth our homage and worth our reverence. And his model for success can and should be emulated. Uh, what he meant for Birmingham, what he meant to Alabama, what he meant to America were, were great. Those things were great. But what he meant and still means to me and to others that came through his company is more important. So. Every year, and this year it's on February 11th and 12th, 11th and 12th, right here in Birmingham, Alabama, we will celebrate A.G. Gaston, who is definitely an American hero. I would love for any of you who are in Birmingham to join me at the conference. And if you want more information, you can get it by 
visiting the conference website, which is aggastonconference.biz. That's aggastonconference.biz. This is our 16th conference. We're excited about it. We have some great speakers, uh, great teachers. Uh, we will be talking about closing the racial wealth gap, enhancing financial literacy, providing business opportunities to minority business enterprises and other disadvantaged business enterprises. And it's all right here in Birmingham, the AG Gaston Conference. You stick around. We're going to be back with more in the black after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say and find your frequency live fridays at 12 noon pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. you are listening to in the black with bob dickerson if you have a question or a comment about the program, please send an email to Robert B. Dickerson Jr. at gmail.com. That's Robert B. Dickerson Jr. at gmail.com. Now, back to In the Black. Hello, everybody. This is Bob Dickerson with In the Black on the Voice America Radio Network. Uh, we are really had an op- a great time with this program, this week's program. Be sure to listen. I hope that you will go online, listen. Uh, the good thing about programs like this, you can listen at your leisure. Uh, we're, we're broadcast on Wednesday at, um, at 1 o'clock Central Time. And, uh, but, but you can listen. That's 11 on the West Coast. Uh, it's 2 o'clock on the East Coast. So, but you can listen at your leisure. So, you can go on the Voice America Radio Network and listen. Uh, we are, I think this is our fifth show now, and we are truly picking up listeners, and we are really excited about have you, having you listen. You can reach out to me through my website, uh, which is bobdickerson.com. You can get me on uh, Facebook, you know, send me, send me something on Messenger. Reach out to me on Twitter. It's at in the black, and that is spelled N T H B L K. I also have the at Bob Dickerson Jr. You can do that too. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Uh, and if you've got some ideas or things that we need to talk about, 
we're open to that as well. We've talked a bit about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. As I mentioned earlier, today is the day that we celebrate um, his birthday, um, January 20th. A phenomenal man that meant so much, not just to America, but also to the world. We talked about the fact that we need to pass on lessons to all of our people and to all of our children so that they know what this country has been about is not just hiding our unfortunate past and the things that we are ashamed of, but using them so that we do not repeat the negative parts of history uh, that we should be a little bit concerned about and to also be concerned about the people, the, the, the folks that our negative history as a country, the things that we did to people are still doing to their descendants, and that's very important. We've got to start to want a more just society, and, and we're going to have that when we have enlightened people who embrace their responsibility to everyone, and when the folks that are enlightened about, uh, about our society and where we are and where we've been and what we need to do begin to speak out and begin to do more. And those of us who are social and economic justice advocates, we have got to make sure that we don't do anything that looks like sitting down and shutting up, okay? So we've got to be vocal about uh, what, we, what we're about. You know, we talked a bit about A.G. Gaston. The A.G. Gaston conference is coming up in just about four weeks. Uh, I'm excited about it. We've got great speakers. Uh, we're going to celebrate the life of A.G. Gaston and his accomplishments. He found needs and filled them in our community, and that's what you've got to do if you're in business. As you know, I help business people start, grow, and develop businesses. And, um, and, and so I thought about something I'd share uh, with you. And this is really true whether you're in business or whether you're just in life. Uh, but there is something that is important to starting, to starting. Uh, when you think about starting and whether or not it's important, well, it's kind of a no-brainer. Because before you start, you're just standing still. You know, there's, there's, there's dreaming and there's planning and there's contemplating. You know, all of that is important. I mean, it's, it's very important that you have a dream, uh, that you create a plan, and that you, that you contemplate and you study. Um, and, and there's vision and there's visioning, you know, and, and envisioning there's an exercise in that. There, there's, you know, it's not just dreaming. It's taking a dream and putting a little bit of force behind it, actually adding some inertia. And, and you know, in my business, I evaluate business plans. And I see people who come in and they've, you know, spent some time in developing a business plan. Or some people have spent some money and got somebody else uh, to develop their business plan. I always have a little bit of a problem when, you got somebody to do your business plan and you don't really know what it says or, you know, because I, I'm, I'm of the belief that if you say to me that I can't do a business plan, then I'm going to probably say to you, well, you can't run a business. And so, but I do evaluate business plans and I help people plan their business enterprises. And these plans generally represent what you dreamed of, what you visualized and what you've perhaps even researched. But even the best plans, and this is the point, the best plans do nothing until something starts. 
so something starts. There was a sign in one of my in one of my uh, superior's offices that I used to go to to get loans approved. When loans were above my limit, I would go and, and have him sign off on them. And he had a sign on his wall, and it said, nothing happens till somebody sells something. And he was in the sales business, so that makes sense. But I'll say this, that the best plans do nothing until something starts. Uh, if you're sitting in your car and, uh, and you want to go somewhere, what do you have to do? You got to start your engine. But there are some impediments to starting, and these are from my perspective, and I want you to deal with these. Uh, the first impediment to starting, of, of course, is procrastination. Uh, I was watching this Andy Griffith show, and some guy was on there. I think it was the whatever the guy who played on Beverly Hillbillies. He was making a guest appearance, and he says, tomorrow is always the best day to start. Tomorrow, And that, that attitude will get you nowhere fast. Then there's this paralysis of analysis. Uh, so you're really afraid, but you don't admit it. You know, you're, you're, you want to start, but, you know, when you get ready to turn the key, you realize that maybe I don't know how to drive or maybe I don't know the way, so you won't turn it. So, so and then you want to rethink everything a thousand times, and so you never make a move. Uh, another impediment are too many voices. We're asking everybody about everything, and everybody has a different opinion. And so now you get all these voices in your head and you never do anything. But let me just say this. You must have the courage of your faith. Uh, your faith in yourself has given you the courage to begin. And now, once you realize that, you can put your plans into action. You know, we said we were going to share with you some biblical, some, some scriptural reference uh, to business ownership and to being successful. And, and I found one that I wanted to share with you because I think it's true uh, for businesses because what we have to do in business is we have to invest. And part of what we have to invest in is we have to invest in God. And so from uh, Deuteronomy, the 14th chapter and 22nd verse, it says, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your seed that the field brings forth year by year. So, you know, if you're in business and, and you want to be successful, then you want to invest. Invest in your church. Invest in your charity. Invest in your business. But make that investment. Make that sacrifice uh, because God has promised that if you make the sacrifice, that he will return it. Hey, this is Bob Dickerson. You're listening to me on the Voice America Radio Network. You're listening to In the Black. We've enjoyed doing this show. Hopefully, you enjoyed listening to it. Uh, be sure to join us again next week for more of In the Black on the Voice America Radio Network. Thank you for tuning in. Please join host Bob Dickerson for another edition of In the Black next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week. Thank you.